everybody. Good to see all of you. I'm so glad to see you. Um, I got a couple things I want to say. Um, you know, every now and then, um, this this has happened, and Dan's particularly good at this, but you get a song <coughs> that really kind of strikes you right where you are. Boy, that pour your spirit out. Man, that was good. That was a good one. So I hope you were blessed by that one too. Um, last uh, year, summertime-ish, um, the board of directors was very kind and gave me a sabbatical. And um, I needed it. It was one of those things I didn't realize um, how much I needed it until I got back. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was good. That was, that was really good. Um, and I remember uh, it was probably right, right around Christmas time. I, I told Lisa, I said, you know, that was so good. And there is an, another, another one of our um, team members who in, in works just as hard as I do, probably a lot harder in some ways, um, Pastor Dan is uh, going on sabbatical this week, so uh, for the next three or four weeks, and just going to ask you to pray for him while he's doing that. He and his family, they're going to take some time off and go and rest and listen to Jesus, and that's really important. Um, I know that I needed it, so I, I had a sneaking suspicion that he did. So anyway, um, blessings on you, my uh, brother from a Romanian mother. So... <laughs> I've been saving that one for a long time. So anyway, that's good. So, <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm thrilled that they get a chance to do that. So be praying for them over the next few weeks. Uh, we're going to be filling it with some um, fine worship leaders too. So um, it should be good in the meantime. Um, let's see. So I'm working through this idea <clears throat> that the most basic teaching of Christianity that I can, I can think of comes down to this idea of loving God and loving others, right? Um, sometimes I think in church world, we, we, we talk about the Great Commission as being kind of the, the marching orders of the church, and, and there's this little phrase at the end, and teaching them everything that I've commanded you. Well, there's a lot of stuff that Jesus commanded, but everything kind of stems back to this idea of loving God and loving others. And so in my mind, it's, um, it's, an, <laughs> it's kind of an important feature that um, we talk about loving God and, and loving others. And, and this, I, this has really kind of gotten, it's been, been one of those idea viruses, it's one of those little earworms, it's one of those things that I, I just I can't get a, away from. It is central um, and foundational to basically everything else within Christianity. And, and if Jesus called them the two greatest of the commandments, um, I think that's the place where we need to begin, okay? So here, here's what I want you to understand. It's the basic, it, we don't end there, but we have to start there, okay? And I don't know if we've necessarily, as a church, have done you know the, the, the best job um, teaching how to do that. It's almost like um, it's almost like we presume everybody knows how to love God and love others. Which is really strange in my mind. Because I don't, I don't think that it's natural for us to love God and love others just automatically. It is natural, however, to love myself. Uh, I don't have to teach a child to be selfish. It's called original sin. Okay? But there has to be a point where as we grow and as we mature, we learn that there are people around us. 
and they have thoughts and feelings too, right? And so consequently, I, I think this is where a, a lot of this idea comes from is that you have to learn how to love God and love people, and I don't know if we've done a good job of teaching people that. We presume that they're, that they're I don't know, maybe Jesus is a magic wand and all of a sudden you figure that stuff out. I, I don't think so. I think there, is, there are some things that we have to do in order to, to, to learn that, to teach it. So the real question is how? How do we go about teaching this stuff? We have to learn how to do it. So how do we teach it as a church? If Jesus said, go and teach them, how are we gonna do that? And it seems to me that the Bible um, points to two primary ways of loving God and loving people. We do it individually, and we do it corporately as a group, right? And I, there really is no other categories that I can find within Scripture. And the individuals are called disciples, and when you get a group of disciples together, you call it a church, right? I mean, it's, 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 in some ways, it's that black and white. Um, it's that simple. You have those two, two things. And so this little handy diagram um, came up where you've got disciple and church at the top, love God, love people, and for the last couple of, of weeks, we've been focusing on the individual, the disciple. How does a disciple love God? How does a disciple love, love people? And over the, um, the, the course of those two weeks, you might remember that, that a disciple loves God through the encounter. This is where we chase the presence of God. This is where we try to carve out some time, some unhurried time, in order to be, to be with him. And in that encounter, what we're trying to do is we're trying to listen to what he has to say to us and then record the things that we hear. That's how you love God, is just by paying attention to him. I mean, I mean think about it. This is how your spouse knows that you love them. I told you once when we got married, if I change my mind, I'll let you know. It doesn't work that way, right? You pay attention to them. Get your nose up out of your phone, turn the TV off, pay attention to your spouse, right? But that's, that's the, ascend, uh, the uh, essence of what we, what we call the encounter, is that we want to listen and we re- uh, record, and of course there's a tool related to that, and we use a journal just as a way of, of uh, writing those things down. Now, there may be other ways of doing it, I just know that that one works, okay? Um, So keep that in mind. So individual, a disciple, loves God through the encounter. And then last week we learned that uh, we love people by courageously engaging in ministry. And this was the the big takeaway for me. As I realized, as I look throughout the text um, and and I think about my own experience is that ministry is almost always done person to person, one on one. And sometimes we, we use that term ministry uh, kind of collectively or corporately, and I'm not, not really sure it fits well. I'm still working my way through that, but it does seem to me that ministry is something that God leads a disciple to do for someone else. And so it's kind of this one-on, one-on-one, person-to-person, or, or knee-to-knee. I, had a, I, I told this story before, but I had a friend of mine who ran a, um, uh, a school for... Um, uh, uh, folk arts, um, specifically, uh, she played the fiddle, um, but banjo and that sort of thing. And she often talked about this idea that you learned certain instruments knee to knee. And so you would sit down in a chair, and somebody would sit down next to you, and you would be knee to knee, and y- you would watch the master play the chords or or whatever the fingering was, and then you would mimic what that was. It was knee to knee. It was a way of teaching. Ministry sounds like that to me is that we do it knee to knee. It's full contact, 
It's not something that you can do isolated. You have to do it um, engaged with people. It's, it's, a, it's a neat way of understanding it, I think. <coughs> and so there's um, a, a couple of practices that we have here. Uh, we want to not only listen and record, but we actually want to respond to what it is that God is telling us to do. And that takes courage. It just does, because I'll tell you that when you're listening to God and he's you know, asking you to do something, there are moments where you feel foolish. Not always, but a lot of times. And I think that the, there's a reason for that because God is asking us, hey, can I trust you? I, I just, I'm giving you an opportunity to do this. You're gonna need some courage to do it because I want to be able to trust you and to trust you with more. So uh, we respond to the things that we hear. And the other thing that we can do is we can priest for people. Um, I'll probably pick that up as a separate topic later on because I think it's so important. But priesting is when you spend your time in your encounter, but you do it on behalf of another person. And, and that's when you go before the Lord and say, Lord, is there insight that you want to give here? Is there something that you want to say about this particular individual? And, and by the way, you should never priest for somebody lightly. You, you, you need to take that very seriously and do it over a period of time so that you can really hear what the Lord has to say. You want to do something super powerful? Priest for your kids. Seriously. It's, it's an amazing thing. Or your spouse. Or somebody that you're close to. You know, priest for them. It's where you stand between that person and God and you try to listen on their behalf. And, and sometimes God will download some things to you that they don't necessarily download to the, to the other person um, for a variety of different reasons, but there is something powerful about God speaking to you through the voice of another person that you, that you trust. It's huge. It's amazing. <clears throat> and of course, God gives us tools for ministry. It's called spiritual gifts. And there's a variety of different ways that he gifts us in order to do that kind of ministry. Okay? So that was a quick recap it's what happens with a, when a disciple loves God and loves people. And, and frankly, we need to train these things. So we do a discipleship course, which talks about the encounter almost exclusively, outlines a lot of this stuff in more detail. If you're interested, I'm uh, probably going to be running this class in June, towards the end of June and then through the summer, and I definitely will do it in the fall. Um, and I'm working on a second class uh, to talk about ministry. How do we actually do ministry? And, and to lean into what God is doing and how we can actually respond to the things that he's telling us. So stay tuned for that one. So today we're going to turn our attention towards groups of disciples, which is the church. How do we collectively love God? Okay, we're going to shift our focus. We're not talking about the individual. We're going to talk about us as a group. And obviously this has some implications for us as a particular church body, and, and hopefully this is going to be helpful uh, to you. So how do we collectively love God um, as a church body? We've got a bunch of disciples in here, and we know that if we are gathered in his name and there's more than two of us, he is here and he's present, right? We want to be presence-centered, and that's the first thing to think about. So simply put, what happens is when we love God as a corporate body, we celebrate him. We celebrate him. It's celebration. And I think this is an important term. I think it's a, an important word. But collectively, when we gather together, um, we are trying to celebrate um, 
or maybe it's a better way to say it, we highlight his activities in our encounters and our ministry. So the things that are happening to us individually when we gather together, we celebrate that corporately. Is this making sense? Nod your head so I know you're awake. Right? I think this is huge. I think this is an, um, uh, an important thing because yeah, I'm, I'm going to make a criticism. I'm not trying to throw anybody under a bus. I'm not trying to do any of that because I, I understand how things occur. But I think what often happens is we think of church more as a theater experience. That means that we show up, we watch what happens on the stage, and what Dan and I have been trying to say for a couple of years now is, no, 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 this is participatory. There's an audience here, and it ain't the people sitting in the, in the, in the seats, and it isn't the people who are on stage. Rather, the audience is God himself. That's the audience. And when we gather together, that's what we're celebrating is the work that he's done. We are highlighting those types of things um, that have happened in the encounters and in the ministry. Now, I want to talk about this biblically <clears throat> because you got to talk about things biblically. <laughs> it's an important feature. And if we're going to talk about things biblically, at least when it comes to celebration and things that God has done, we need to go to the poets. And you know how much I love the poets. Uh, there's just some, there's emotion here that we need to hear um, um, from these ancient writers, and I want to I point out a couple of these uh, to you. So I'm going to start with Psalm 8. I'm actually going to kind of skip over um, several different psalms, but there's, there's some features, some ideas that I want you to see when we talk about the things, uh, uh, when we corporately um, celebrate what God's doing, when we highlight his activity. So here's the first one. Psalm 8, Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Those of you who grew up Church of God know Sandy Patty. She made this song really, really famous, right? How many of you remember this? Do you remember this? Yes, um, of course. <clears throat> uh, you have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Isn't that awesome? I'm not sure I know exactly what it means, but it sounds really cool, Right? have to think about that a little bit more. It goes on, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so the, there's some ideas here that, that you should probably notice is that there's the goodness of God that's being discussed. Um, there's also uh, his might and, of course, his relationship to human beings. You know, I, you're mindful of us. You, you've done all of these things. I look at the vastness. I look at the bigness of all of it, and, and, and yet you're still interested in what I'm doing in my little life. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Very powerful. Reminds me... Um, Several years ago, uh, the Church of God had our, um, our national conference in Oklahoma City. And uh, for those of you who remember Sandy Patty, she actually uh, worships at, at Crossings in Oklahoma City. That's kind of the, we call it the mothership. It's the large Church of God in Oklahoma City. It's really big. And uh, it's a great church, beautiful facilities and whatnot. And um, she led worship one night. Sandy Patty led worship. Uh, one night at the um, at the national conference, <clears throat> and it was awesome. 
And uh, just when we thought she was done, she brought out a guy named Larnell Harris. Do you remember Larnell? Okay, so Larnell comes out. He's a pastor down in Dallas. So he and Sandy won a bunch of Dove Awards for a couple of songs they sang. Well, they sang the song, I've Just Seen Jesus. Remember the song? Okay, <clears throat> so um, my eldest daughter was uh, still in high school at the time, and uh, she had an iPad with her, and I said, you need to put the iPad down. Even if this is not your kind of music, these are living legends. Brought the house down. Oh my gosh, it was awesome. Uh, it was really kind of cool. And uh, so anyway, started thinking about that, because what they were doing in their music is celebrating the things that God had done, Right? It's a celebration. So whenever we gather together, there's a reason why we get emotional about some of these songs. Because we're celebrating a very good God who loves each one of us individually. All right? So Psalm 8 it was the first one we're at. Let's go to Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Isn't that a beautiful invitation? And then it goes on. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Very interesting. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. You got some fear going on in your life? Start praying for his angels to show up, okay? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. This is, this is the poetry. This is the songs of an ancient people who understood what um, what God was about. And so here we have themes of rescue and protection. Again, we're highlighting the activity of the Lord. Um, Psalm 100. <clears throat> Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people the sheep of his pasture. I love this one because this one was actually read at my wedding. Our pastor, um, the pastor who married us, uh, did a call to worship and he, sang, uh, he um, read the psalm. And that idea of being the sheep of his pasture, remember, a sheep um, know the shepherd's voice, right? This is what Jesus said. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all the generations. You see how we're highlighting the, the characteristics of God. And so we have things like, you know, themes of gratitude and themes of faith and, and seeing God's faithfulness and, and our response being faithful to his faithfulness on top of it. And sometimes when you're reading through the Psalms, you'll see, hear about the name of God. You make the name of God great. Well, when, whenever we see the name of God, that really means his reputation. How is he known to others? The name of the Lord has become great. His reputation precedes him, is the idea. Praise is to speak well of God and, and to do it with gratitude. So when we praise the name of the Lord... Um, you know, sometimes we toss these words around, but we really need to think what they mean. When I'm praising him, when I'm actually doing the praising, we're singing those worship tunes, uh, we're speaking well of God. 
and we're doing it with gratitude. Now, one last psalm that I want to round this out with, and, and uh, coincidentally, believe it or not, um, Dan actually read from a piece of this too. This is Psalm 145. I want to pick up the first few verses. I think he started in verse 17. Um, by the way, you may want to look at Psalm 145 today just for fun. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Remember, we're speaking well of him with gratitude. His greatness no one can fathom. Now let me tell you, I got a pretty good imagination. But here's what, here's what the, the poet says. Yeah, it doesn't matter how much imagination you got. You can't fathom his greatness. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. That is a powerful verse in in my mind as well, but there's a little element here that I think is important. We're going to pick up on this in a few moments, but there's an element of storytelling. One generation telling another generation. Does that make sense? This is what the Lord has done. Okay? We're going to pick this up again in a moment. It's important um, uh, to us. And finally, um, scripturally, I want to end with Jesus. Most of the time I start with Jesus, today I'm going to end with Jesus. Okay? We're still going to talk about Jesus. So here we go. This is John chapter 4. This is the scene where Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well which in in my mind is one of the most powerful dialogues in all of scripture. We really get to see the heart of God for um, a person who, for a person who desperately needs God, okay? But in this conversation, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. That was the big deal between Samaritans and Jews. Where do you worship God? It's a big deal. And he says, it's not going to matter. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are, are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Now here's my question for you. Where do you get the spirit and truth? From the encounter. It has to happen individually in order for it to happen corporately. Do you understand? So there's this notion here that when we gather together, what we're doing is we're bringing those things that happen to us individually to the group setting. Are you tracking with me? Right? So if you want to understand the spirit and truth, you probably ought to plug into the spirit and his truth. And to do that individually as little or as much as you possibly can so that you can bring that to the assembly and the worship, that's what type of worshiper God is looking for. Jesus said it very clearly. Now, obviously, there's a whole lot more we can talk about with that. But when we're talking about... um, Spirit and truth, we're really talking about what happens in the encounter. And, and, and here's the thing that you have to remember. Um, this is the part that, for me, is, is the one that's uh, getting some traction. Just I'm trying to let it get some traction in my own life. Is that when we, when we spend time with Jesus, when we have that presence, we actually 
carry that presence with us into other circumstances. It is a different perspective. It's a different um, position. It's a different posture. Because you can take a look at circumstances that are uh, not as positive as they could be. And yet, if you carry the presence of God, you know that his presence can change things. That's the spirit, and that's the truth. You're a carrier of the presence. So oftentimes when we talk about loving God and loving people, we say we're in his presence to be his presence. We want you to carry that presence with you. Now, some of you know that I have a practice whenever I'm in a grocery store or I'm in any type of retail setting, if you are a cashier taking my money, you're going to talk to me. I don't like when people just check me through giving my total. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to know how you're feeling today. And I'm going to bug you about it. And I'm going to crack as many jokes as it takes to get you to smile. I'm really good at dad jokes. Just ask my kids. But the point is, is that, look, I've worked the retail jobs. So if some of you, you know how this is. I'm not going to be the customer that you go home and go, man, I wish that person never comes back. Because I know that the joy of the Lord is contagious. And I want to be his presence. That's just my way of doing it. You can do it your way. Maybe your way is just leaving a really large tip. Nothing wrong with that. Now, hopefully, you're making them crack up and you're leaving a big tip, too. So, you know, you're going to try to be the presence of the Lord, be the generosity of the Lord. You want to, to, to show those kinds of, of, of characteristics of him. You, you, you are in his presence in order to be his presence. You carry his presence with you wherever you go. And if you're going to do that out in the world, why on earth would you not do it in the assembly? Why would you not do it when you're gathered together for worship, when you're gathered together for celebration? You want to bring that same presence that you had individually into the corporate setting. And I think this is in part what Jesus is getting at when he says, in the spirit and in truth. You're bringing that with you. You are in his presence so you can be his presence. You can be his presence to people who desperately need it. You can be his presence to those who are brothers and sisters who are also trying to be in his presence. Okay. just like the individual areas, there are practices associated with the corporate areas. So as disciples, we have certain practices. Remember, we listen and record, and the practice we also have in ministry is to respond and to priest for others. Well, there are certain things that we do in celebration, certain practices that we have. Um, Now, there may be more than these, but here, these are the two basic ones, at least as far as I can tell. First and foremost, uh, we celebrate, which means we love God corporately, we celebrate when we worship. When we worship. That's ultimately the first um, idea behind celebration, is we worship God. Now, what does worship mean? It's an enormous topic. It deserves more time than I have today, but I think there are a couple things worth pointing out. The first thing is that worship is ascribing worth or value to God. 
You are simply saying when you worship, God, you are worthy. That's a word that Dan often uses. You are worthy of something from me. You're worthy of my time. That's why we come to church on Sunday. Or we watch online. Either way, you, you're carving out time. You're worthy of that. You're worthy of my time. You're worthy of my resources. God doesn't need your tithe, but he's worthy of it. Does this make sense? God also um, is worthy of our attention. So we stop doing other things and we focus on ascribing value to God by just being here together in his presence. You tracking? He's worthy of those things. Infinitely worthy of those things. At the very minimum, those three things, probably more. The other thing about worship <clears throat> that um, I, I think is, is, is worth uh, pointing out is that in worship, we position ourselves properly. We mentally get the right order. And here's what I mean by that. We acknowledge that God is greater than us. We are saying, not only are you worthy, there's a reason why you're worthy. You're wiser, you're stronger, you're more loving, you're all those things that I want to be infinitely more. And so you position yourself underneath that. You understand that you are not equal, you are not above, you are definitely somewhere beneath where that is. Now, I don't mean that um, in a psychological, beat yourself up, sort of shame-filled sort of way. I'm dealing with reality. This is God. And we need to acknowledge the bigness, the greatness, the power, the majesty of God himself. And so we position ourselves, we posture ourselves, knowing that he's the one on the throne, I'm not on the throne. And trust me, you don't want me on the throne. I don't want me on the throne. He's better at it than I am. <clears throat> and then also, too, with worship, it seems to me that, that worship always has some element of sacrifice. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Because <clears throat> this, one, this one has puzzled me for a long time. I'm still, I'm still trying to figure this out. But throughout our understanding of worship in ancient cultures, especially in uh, ancient Israel, there's this element of sacrifice. Now, I, I'm going to ask a question. There is no intention of condemnation or shame or any of that. I don't, again, I'm not interested in those kinds of things, um, you know, being part of the church. But when you come to a gathering, my question is, what do you sacrifice? What do you specifically sacrifice when you worship? And I think every person ought to wrestle with that a little bit. What am I sacrificing here? Yes, your time, yes, your attention, yes, your tithe, but um, all those things, and those are all good things. I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting that, but really, when you come down to it, in order for you to position yourself properly underneath uh, a holy and righteous God, there's an element of sacrifice. And so the question that you might want to ask, that you might want to raise in your own heart is, what am I sacrificing when I'm showing up on Sunday morning? I don't know what that answer is for you, and I'm certainly not going to tell you what it is, because I don't know. That's between you and God in your encounter time. What am I sacrificing here? 
What am I giving up? Just a thought for you to uh, grist for your mill. Something for you to think about. This comes up um, from time to time, I think. What do we sacrifice when we worship? All right, the second thing, um, we have one practice, we worship. The second practice that we have in the celebration um, includes testimony. Remember, we are highlighting the activity of God. We are telling stories. That's testimony. We are testifying to what God did in our, in our lives. Um, a number of years ago, I remember this, um, there was uh, this move in evangelism called witnessing. Who are you witnessing to? Do you remember this? Some of you might. That's essentially testimony. It's just telling other people, look, this is, this is what God did for me. That's testimony. Um, the best part is when you're talking to someone who has no relationship with God and you point out the fact that it might be God, that's just fun. Well, it is for me. I, I think it's fun. I'm going, yeah, no, I had this thing kind of occur. I'm pretty sure God was involved. And they're all looking at you like you grew a second head. I get that a lot. It's okay. You know, it's fun. But to have that kind of conversation, to acknowledge the fact that God was active in your life at some point, that's testimony. Right? We're telling stories, telling the stories of what, what God has done. Um, <clears throat> in the Old Testament, God often tells his people to remember. Remember, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Remember, remember, remember. And isn't it really interesting that in the very final moments with his disciples, before he is arrested and crucified, Jesus takes wine and he takes bread and he says, Remember. Remember, there is something so powerful about remembering. Some of you have heard this story. Uh, I'm not sure she has, but I'm going to say it anyway. But I've had moments in my life where I have really, really wondered about my own faith. But I have these two beautiful daughters whose birth into this world are truly miracles. Someday I'll tell you the full story. And I remember there's a God who answers prayer. And I'm so grateful for that. I can't ever be anything less than a believer because I have evidence who live under my roof, right? There was a moment I remember that I was going to be agnostic, that I trusted that there was a God, I didn't understand him or anything like that, which by the way, agnosticism is the theological equivalent of less filling tastes great. (laughs) Some of you will get that later. But I have these two beautiful young ladies who remind me that this is a God who is intimately, intimately interwoven into my life. And I remember I can't not have faith because they exist. And you have those too, I'm sure. We all have those stories, but there's a reason why we remember. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that I want you to really 
grasp hold of. If you are listening and if you are responding, if you are listening in an unhurried way and you are responding with courage, how is it that you will not have stories of God's activity, right? If you're actually spending time doing the things that a disciple does, loving God and loving others, you're going to have stories. And you're going to want to tell them. Oh, let me tell you what God did this week. This is so cool. And it's not that I'm trying to outdo you and what, what I'm trying to tell the story of what God did because it has nothing to do with me. I just happen to be along for the ride at that time, right? So if you are listening and responding, surely you're going to have stories about God's activity to tell. And how much fun is that when we begin to have those kinds of stories? Dan and I were talking about this the other day. We were saying, you know, how do we know when we really feel like this type of culture that we're interested in, this present-centered culture, becomes um, really ingrained into our church? And the only thing that we could think of, at least at this point, is when we start hearing stories about what other people are doing, about how God is active in their lives, if they're not telling us, but they're telling someone else, and we hear it second and third hand, then we know the stories are beginning to go throughout the culture. That's what we're looking for. Can hardly wait. When there's the testimony of his people to each other, not just from the pulpit to the pew or the seats, not just this direction, but when you all are doing it together. That's testimony. That's the kind of thing that we're hoping for, that we're looking for, because God is so good, God is so active, we can't wait to tell each other. And it also struck me the other day, as I was thinking about this, um, if, I'm, if I'm completely honest with myself and with the, the, the occupation that I have, this profession, that the basis of all preaching is testimony. Why? Because I'm opening up the word and I am telling you a story about what God did. That's testimony. Now, it doesn't happen to be my story. It's someone else's story, but I get to tell it. Now, hopefully I do it in an interesting sort of way. And maybe I can give you a little historical background. I can give you some context to make it feel a little more alive, a little more rich, a little more meaningful to you. But ultimately speaking, I am testifying to what the Lord has done in his word. Does this make sense? The story isn't supposed to end with the end of the book. The story is supposed to continue in the lives of the people who continue to follow God. So maybe I teach you some stuff along the way, but really what we're trying to do is retell the stories testifying to the goodness and the might of God. And don't we need that in this world today? Oh my word. Now, of course, there's a tool that we use to celebrate God. Right, So we have practices, we have a tool. We have a particular tool. Guess what? You're sitting in it right now. We call it the weekly gathering. The weekly gathering is where we celebrate God. Now, can it happen elsewhere? Of course it can. But at the very minimum, it happens here. This is where we celebrate God. You are not coming to church. You are the church. You come into a party on Sunday morning. Does it make sense? That's the kind of uh, idea that we want infused into what we're, what we're doing. We gather weekly to celebrate God through worship and testimony. But it happens in this weekly gathering. We've got to find these places to testify, to worship together so that we can meet with our God because he is, uh, he is our God and we are his people. Now, 
course, one final thought, and this is the one that, um, well, let me just put it this way. In every area of, of discipleship, in all four of these little quadrants, we've talked about having a value. The value of loving God as an individual is unhurried. The value of ministry, ministry is courage. So what's the value of celebration? What is it that we're trying to embody here? And I've I've been thinking about this for a very long time. There's a value for celebration as well. And the word for me is expectancy. It's expectancy. Now let me ask you a question. Again, there's no condemnation here. I just want you to think about, about reality for a moment. When you get up on Sunday morning and get ready for church, what do you expect when you arrive here? What are you expecting? Now, I hope, at the very minimum, that you're expecting that you're going to get some great worship music and that you're going to get some some thought-provoking preaching. Because Dan and I spend a lot of time on that. We, We hope that that's at least of value to you But is that all you're expecting? Or are you expecting something more? Are you expecting that you might meet with God? Meet with God. You know, creator, sustainer of the universe, the one who brought them up out of the land of slavery in Egypt, the one who sent them into exile so that they might learn some lessons, brought them out again, and then brought us a savior, That one, that guy, yeah. We're meeting with him. And you're meeting with your brothers and sisters who believe what you believe, that there is a God who loves them and he is worthy of love and worship and adoration and he's worth following. You get to meet with him. Are we expecting that when we get up on Sunday mornings? So what if... I love what if. What ifs are fun. What if on Sunday we came with the idea that God, not Dan, certainly not David, that God had something to say? What if we woke up and said to ourselves, oh wait, I'm, I'm going for celebration, I'm going to a party, and God's got something to say. Would that change you at all? If not, why not? And if so, how? You might want to crack your journal open and and write about that. It might be a good idea. We believe that Holy Spirit is in the room and he wants to hang out with us, that he wants to say something to us, that he's he's whispering in your ear constantly all the time if if you're paying attention to him. And you learn how to do that individually and you can learn how to do that corporately and all kinds of crazy things start happening. We can see it within the book of Acts. I remember um, a couple of years ago, some of you remember this, but I made an announcement that uh, Dan was going on vacation and our guest artist was Chris Tomlin. You remember this? Oh my gosh, that was the best prank ever. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun. To see the look on everybody's face, so worth it. 
And then when I said, no, no, Chris isn't coming. But you do get to meet with God. And we get all excited about Chris Tomlin because he's a celebrity. But we have a very different reaction when we're thinking about God. Why is that? That wasn't meant to be condemning or hurtful or anything, but I, I got excited about it too, and I was telling a fib, you know? But I confessed so I could preach. It's okay. But think about that. If you, if you put God in the, that same category, that celebrity category, at the very minimum, how would that change you? How would that change how you attended uh, a Sunday weekly or a Sunday gathering? How, 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 would you do, how, would you, how would that change your celebration? And the thing that I want to say to you, and this is what I think the Lord wants you to understand, but the Lord of hosts is here right now. No, you can't see him necessarily, but you can hear him and you can feel him. And, he, and the best part of all of this, he wants to be here wants to be here. Chris Tomlin doesn't want to be here. Chris Tomlin got his own church. He's got his own set of responsibilities he needs to do. But God, on the other hand, he wants to be here. And more importantly, he wants to be with you. Not you collectively, you individually. Right where you are in that seat. He's here and he wants to be with you. You. Of all people, you. And he loves it when we get together and we tell his stories and we worship him. And not that he needs our worship, but he's worthy of our worship. And, and from time to time, he'll show up and he'll come and he'll be among uh, his people and his presence. And he might stop by and he might give individual people gifts. It might be a healing. It might be a word. It might be something that they need, an emotional burst. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need to hear that, that, um, that God is present and that, that we want his him to pour his spirit on us. I need to hear those types of things. If you notice, I don't do a whole lot of the, you know, here's your practical application for this week. Sometimes, you know, practical application is great. I love practical application, but the bottom line is sometimes I just need to know God's still on the throne because the world's gone crazy. And I want to know that, that there's a God who is still, <laughs> who's still mighty and he still loves us and he's interested in us individually and corporately. That God, that's the one that's here. That's the one that all of nature praises. You go out and you can see it happening. That's the God that's here, that's with us. That's the God that we celebrate. So what would happen if we came to a weekly gathering with that in mind? How would that change you? just going to let that one sit there. God, you're so good to us. <laughs> you're so, so good to us. And, and not only are you good, and not only are you mighty, and you're so worthy, you know, all those things, but you want to be with us, warts and all. We come as we are, and, and, and we don't want to stay that way. We want to be the the people that you really created us to be. Not that, that version that we may have in our own head, but really the one that you had in mind when you formed us before we even knew it. And God, my prayer is that Thrive Church would continue to, 
to choose to follow you, would choose to (laughs) individually and collectively lean into your presence a little bit more and that when we gather together, we would be bursting with stories because you're so good and you're so active and we have lots to remember. God, I pray that we would never become that kind of place that we, we just show up because, well, that's what we've always done. But rather we would show up because we're meeting with God. We're meeting with you. We're meeting with the source of all things. I can't believe it, but sometimes I don't, I don't even have enough words to describe. And so Lord, as we worship together now, as we sing your praise, I would ask you very humbly to make your presence known to us collectively and individually. Simple invitation. Come Holy Spirit, speak to us, do the things that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.